Yes. I think of Mrs. Puff as I make love. <laughs> I do too because I am her. <laughs> so she got home like wine drunk from this day and was like, oh my God, let me tell you about this. And then she sees me crying and she just starts laughing even harder. Because <laughs> she's like, I knew this was going to happen. I made this up. <laughs> so we're both just like laugh crying about like the state of men together. <laughs> That's cathartic. <laughs> So I'm like, I'm really upset right now because I'm afraid of heights, but like, and I'm gonna talk I to need you. to break up with you because I'm like, I'm really gay. <laughs> What's up? This episode will contain issues pertaining to sexual violence, sexual health, and mental health issues. If this is something that you don't want to listen to right now, or you need to like take a pause and listen to it later, just press pause right now. We'll understand. Also, this is Miranda's story. This is not everyone's story. So we want to give it to you because it's something that we think is valuable, but it will not speak for everyone. Today on the show, we'll be talking about sexual health, sexual assault, and mental health. These are subjects that are t- sensitive. And if you do not want to listen to this, feel free to just press pause right now and go about your day. So today on the show, we have Miranda Field Elliott. She is a third year majoring in poli and American studies. <laughs> she has done a lot of great work um, relating to sexual violence and survivorship and advocating for those communities. Um, so we're really happy to have her on the show today. So can you tell me a little bit about the work you've been doing surrounding sexual violence on this campus? Yes, absolutely. So I have worked in the ASCC Sexual Violence Commission, where we did a lot of policy work as well as activism. So we did some large-scale protests. We did a lot of meetings with administrators to talk about actual tangible ways to make the policy more helpful to survivors. And then this year, I'm an ASCC senator, where I also meet a lot with administrators. And then I've also done a lot of survivor-centric programming and that sort of thing. So why do you think administrators don't fucking make this a priority because it keeps popping up on our damn campus. Yeah. So we're actually, this keeps, the answer to that question keeps evolving Um, Mm. because, I mean, a few years ago it was because it was under the rug and because there wasn't attention drawn to it and because they didn't want, campus administrators don't want their institutions to look like it's a problem because that's a problem for getting students to come. Um, So they try to keep their reporting rates really low, their disciplinary rates really low. However, the campus sexual violence movement has brought a lot of attention to the issue. We had a White House task force on it last year, which is crazy. Um, Not like we personally, but like like there was a White House task force, which um, would not have happened without survivor activism on campuses. Um, So now we're in a new stage where I see a lot of – I see some really good changes happening, so I'm going to start with that, um, that I have seen some good policy changes. Um, shout out to the Student Advocates Office um, and lots of other leaders that have been leading the fight on that. And But there's still a lot of solutions, and I'm doing air quotes right now, which you can't see, um, <laughs> but um, that are really focused on PR and not really on like making tangible changes to survivors' lives um, because it's in the spotlight, so they can be like, we're doing this shiny thing, but that like might not have yeah. any impact. It's all commissions and all like discourse meetings. Right, like we're establishing this peer review panel, and we're like, okay. Um, <laughs> like, like that sort of like, thing. Like fucking actually deal with it, yeah. please. Yeah. Can you tell us about why this issue is personally important to you, why it matters so much to you, and why you chose to get onto this issue when you came onto campus? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So when I initially started working on it, I didn't quite like fully grasp my personal connection to it. I just felt like a pull to do this work, and that felt very innate within me and like something I had to do. And then down the line through that work, I 
realized that I was a survivor myself um, because that's how it can happen sometimes. (laughs) Um, Mm. And I had all these memories come back to me that I had repressed um, and realized that like, oh, duh, that's why I like choose to do this work that is hard and challenging and often you don't get what you want very often. Mm. Um, But yeah, so it definitely came from a personal connection. But it was interesting to me that that personal connection really didn't come about for a while after until after I'd done that work. So you said that you realized this after doing this work. You realized you were having all these memories, all these feelings come up. Can you explain that process and this process of realization of what what actually happened? Yeah. So I first want to say that I can only speak for myself um, and my own experiences, my own stories. I don't represent all survivors or all narratives of what it looks like to be a survivor. Um, but for me, it was actually kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I also use humor a lot to like deal with it and also just because it's like a way to bring levity to a very dark issue. Um, but I had my first male partner in a long time. I'm queer. And Snaps. I... What? <laughs> Snaps. Gays in the studio. Yes. Um, but, and... <laughs> I was with this partner, and every time we'd have sex, I would just kind of shut down or freak out. So I'd either, like, completely disassociate or be like, we need to stop right now. And I was like, what the fuck is happening to me? Um, so I, like, went to, I was like, this is not what's supposed to be happening. Like, I Why am I a cock block like, <laughs> to myself? Yeah, I was like, why am I doing that? Why am I doing this to myself? Um, so I actually went, I went to therapy with the school um, and I had this really young therapist and I disclosed to her that I thought I might have been sexually assaulted and she burst into tears Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and she's like crying and I was like okay I don't feel like this is what's supposed to be happening in therapy <laughs> like shouldn't <laughs> this, I be the one crying this feels off um, and so <laughs> I like got a, get, got a call like a day later from like the head of all mental health in oh, UC Berkeley. Oh my god! And she was like, "So I heard this happened, and that was incredibly unprofessional. And uh, we're gonna follow up with you soon." <laughs> so then oh I got this god. amazing social worker who I talked a lot of stuff out with. <laughs> <laughs> After the initial one crying, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually a violation of Title Nine. What I've been, crying? Or. Not crying specifically as an emotional reaction, but to my understanding, it's a violation to not be properly trained and equipped to deal with this issue and be like a licensed counselor at Berkeley. (laughs) (laughs) So you expose someone. That's cool. (laughs) (laughs) So... So then you talked about it with a real person. Right. Somebody um, who actually knows. Social services it. at Berkeley. If any people um, have friends that are survivors or survivors yourself, go to social services. They're amazing. That's my plug. Um, uh Yeah, so I was able to talk with her a lot. Um, And basically what was happening is I was getting triggered by whatever thing, and I had no idea what it was um, or what multiple things were, um, but that was showing up with my new partner. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of, like, how that came to happen. Um, I guess when you, like, when you figured it out, were you able to speak to your partner about it, like, were they supportive with you throughout the whole process? Like, can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences with coming to that realization and having to essentially come out about it? Yeah, they were actually amazing about it because, yeah, my behavior kept being kind of funny, for like lack of a better word. Um, but a lot of it comes from the fact that if you don't have control over your sexual choices at some point, like, at least for me, I really needed to, like, hit the brakes a lot to be like, I can stop and, like, that's okay. Um so I did that a lot. <laughs> um, but it was cool. We watched a lot of Bob's Burgers. <laughs> like, 
Bob's Burgers and chill. That's yeah. great. <laughs> I need me a freak like that. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, so just being able to, like, like, very specific things, like, don't, like, hold me down at all or, like, don't just, like, let me stop for a few minutes. And usually I would, like, be okay after a few minutes. Um, but I think it's, like, re- for me, it was, like, rerouting my brain to be, like, very intentionally that I can stop and that's, like, fine. Mm. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how do you bring this up, let's say, in a hookup? Is it something you you feel like you're, you're capable of doing or is it just, like, too much? Um, <laughs> So I actually... There, I talked to, like, a lot of my survivor friends about this, um, about, like, how far to go into, like, here's all this personal information I'm going to throw at you right now. Um, also, to preface, I, I'm on, I'm, like, 10 months free of men, and so it's been, like, a while. Um, She's on a cleanse. And this You're going to get your, like, two, your year-long chip in a bit. Exactly. <laughs> um, and this problem, like, really shows up with women and femmes, um, for me at least. Um, but it's, like, the issue of being, like... Do I say, like, something happened at some point? Or do I be like, so this is this whole story about me that happened, and here's, like, how I feel about it, da-da-da. And then they'd be like, wow, okay, that was a lot. Um, (laughs) So usually I've, like, gotten my, like, script down pretty well that's just, like, now I forgot it, which is, like, a really funny telling. Um, (laughs) Just saying something along the lines of, like, hey, I've had experiences that, like, might lead me to want to go slow. Or, like, can you ask me for consent for, like, literally everything the first time just because that, like, helps me stay in the moment um, or something like that. Um, I heard this, like, metaphor for consent, which I really like. Um that I'm going to steal. Um, <laughs> it's like buying a new car. So if, like, if you buy a new car and you like don't really know where it came from and you like don't really know anything about it, like at first you're going to drive really slow and you're going like, to test the brakes and you're going like, to test the blinkers and like do everything. But like the more you become accustomed to it, you can like still ask for consent for everything, but like maybe do so in a way that's like a little less nervous or like with some more comfortability and you'll like know your partner's cues more. You get to hit the heavy pedal a little bit faster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hit the accelerator. Exactly. Like big toe, like SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. Mrs. Puff. <laughs> yes. I think of Mrs. Puff as I make love. <laughs> I do too because I am her. I just blow up. I'm just like... Um, anyway. Anyways, what are some like fun ways to ask for consent without being awkward? Because I'm so weird when I do it. Like I need to be fucking trained how to do it as like a funny, sexy person. Yeah. So I use like, is this okay? A lot just because it's short and it like people can usually like understand what you're asking is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. Do you like this? People use a lot or like a good one. It's like, do you like this? And then. That's like a yes or no question, but if they say yes, if you say no, they say no, you stop. But if you say they say yes, you can be like, what would make it better? Um, because mm. that's like an open-ended question and not just like a yes or no. Because I've heard some critiques of just being like, is this okay? Because like, what do you want your sex to be like okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, it gets the point across, and you you are getting verbal consent. Um, but it's not like an enthusiastic answer. Right. It's, it's just like, like it's yeah, just, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Six out of ten. <laughs> And it's sort of like these are just ways to be better in bed across the yeah. board. It's not like uh, like consent is quite literally sexy. Mm-hmm. Sexy and mandatory. But it, um, yes, absolutely. It like really hones in on like what you like and what you don't like. And I definitely have had to learn um, throughout the years on like how to talk more during sex, basically. Um, and like really check in with my partner, like no matter what gender they are. Um about what's going on and what they like and what they don't like um, because it just makes it better also. And you get comfortable with them faster, even if it's a hookup. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're chatting, then you're not just, like, 
just doing it and it's fine. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, dirty more talk. Than fine. <laughs> I'm That's doing I... it and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is more than fine. Um, mm. What I'm sort of curious about is um, you sort of mentioned before that like you don't read like haven't started talking about it openly until very recently. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a specific impetus as to why you like? are more open about it now as to in the past or, you know, mm-hmm. like, what what sparked it? I don't feel like any, like, particular event sparked it, um, but I realized that especially this year as a senator, I've been, like, put in meetings with admin or, like, been able to be interviewed or whatever on this issue, but I never actually connected it to, like, why I care. Um, and that felt... I'd seen a lot of other survivor activists doing that, um, and I always felt kind of jealous and, like, wasn't sure why I hadn't yet, um, which is obviously just because I wasn't ready to. Um, But I feel like finishing my junior year and, like, I'm going to graduate next year, I was like, I think I'm, like, ready to talk about this a bit, especially um, if I can, like, have anyone resonate with what I'm saying, even just, like, one person, then it's worth it, Um, because I know I read, like, 700 blog posts (laughs) when I was first, like realizing it and whatnot and like anything that resonated at all made me feel a lot better and so yeah any more as many voices as possible i think is really critical true um because i do this as well um so you mentioned that you use humor to kind of discuss these hot button issues these really dark topics and i do that too Mm -hmm. like everyone has their own fucking trauma and how i air that shit out is by talking about it and being funny because it just makes me feel better Mm -hmm. um so how do you use that to facilitate this conversation with other people and bring more voices in how has humor really helped you spill out the survivor narrative i think for me it's the only way i can talk about it directly and bluntly um um and it also helps destigmatize more um like, there's, like, I'm in Squelch, which is a on-canvas half-satirical political party, and we talk a lot about, like, punching up versus punching down in comedy. Um, so as a survivor, like, punching up is, like, punching up at rape culture mm-hmm. um, or, like, public assailants or whatever, like, um, up the power hierarchy. So, like, making those jokes and, like, joking in that way can both be really cathartic and, like, bring light to issues. Um, and also, yeah, it's, like, the way I can talk about it bluntly. Um, I can't just, like, launch into these dark conversations on my own. Um, But sometimes humor can help facilitate that. And also can make survivors feel more comfortable and not alone. Um, At least when we have, like, one-on-one conversations, they're, like, usually more lighthearted than you would think. Like, unless we need to talk about something that, like, happened recently or, like, a time someone was triggered or that sort of thing when we really have to do a heart-to-heart. If we're just like, ha-ha, this happened, like, (laughs) it's kind of funny sometimes. Mm. Um, Like, I said that I like to, like hit the brakes a lot. Um, I had a hookup a while ago as well where I was, like, with this guy, and we were, like, about to have sex. And then I was just like, nope, this isn't happening right now. I'm sorry, I can't. And he was like, what? And I was like, ha, ha, ha I just can't. And he was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then he just drove me home, and I was like, aren't brains hilarious? And he was like, this girl's bad shit. <laughs> but it's fine. And then I, like, called my friend, and I was, like, thinking in my head, because I don't know about you two, but, like, can you ever, like, feel when you're, like, about to have an emotional reaction? Yes. So yeah. I was like, I'm either going to get really upset or I'm going to laugh about this. So I'm just going to laugh about it because, like, that's 
seems more pleasant. So I called my friend and was like, oh my God, girl, guess what just happened? <laughs> like, I just used this guy for a ride home. Like, <laughs> I hate when they both combine and you're like laugh crying. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to me too much. Yeah, I was, last year, um, my roommate went on this really bad date the night I went on a date. Um, and I left early because I wasn't feeling it. And it made me kind of sad just because I was at a point where I was like, I want to be with someone. Um, and the date was like whatever um so i got home and i like burst into tears and then apparently my friend's date my roommate's date also hadn't gone well so she had told her date that her roommate was in tears like not having spoken to me and so she got home like wine drunk from this date was like oh my god let me tell you about this and then she sees me crying and she just starts laughing even harder because <laughs> she's like i knew this was gonna happen i made this up <laughs> So we're both just, like, laugh crying about, like, the state of men together. <laughs> That's cathartic. Um, what are, like, I'm curious, what are, like, some of your favorite comedians? Sort of, like, you know, what, who makes you laugh about, like, especially issues of, like, you know, like, you talked about punching up and versus punching down. Who are comedians who punch up for you? So I don't really have names, but I believe last April Reductress did like oh. a full page of articles um, that were just so funny um, um, that were all like related to sexual violence. Like it was like amazing. Like this college rapist has so many beautiful Facebook statuses about rape culture and like stuff like that. It's like Holy they went shit. in and they, they did like that. 35 of them oh all on God. the same day. Um, and it was like rather brilliant um i love reductress and then also like for media i also like love watching tv about this like i'm like horrible to myself and will like watch the most triggering shit just because i think it like feels good to see stuff represent represented um so i like watched all of jessica jones in one night once oh my <laughs> Did gosh you watch it? that's really about like an oppressor right like yeah like... it's j- if anyone hasn't watched Jessica Jones on Netflix, I was convinced I was going to write my whole thesis about it. And then I had to get, like, talked down because they're like, you're going to Berkeley. Like, you don't need to write your thesis about that. <laughs> yes, you should. But I also still might. Do we'll it. see. Please fucking do. I will read <laughs> Whatever. it. Whatever. Um, that show is brilliant because it it's about this. I'm going to, like, butcher this because I haven't seen it in a year. But um, <laughs> I'm waiting for and I, like, season. cried my way through it's it. So Wikipedia good. page Yeah, on exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's about this woman who was in a relationship with a guy named Kilgrave who can control people with his mind. Um, and so throughout that relationship, they, like, had sex, which was assault because she couldn't consent. Um, but there was, like, no violence or anything. Um, and so I thought it was genius because it, like, one, showed, like, the complexity of PTSD in her as a character. But also, like, hit you over the head that, like, she clearly couldn't consent. Um, so it's, like... I don't know. It's like it was so effective to me, and I like sobbed my way through it. I like called my partner at four in the morning, and they were like, "What the fuck is happening to you right now?" And I was like, "I watched too much TV. Come over." <laughs> Did your partner come over? Yeah, they Ubered to my apartment. <laughs> That's a and blessing. They were like, oh wow! Like, <laughs> I see you're really upset right now. <laughs> like. <laughs> but it's really good you should all watch it it's just like don't amazing. watch it late at night if like that is triggering material to you <laughs> so how does being a survivor kind of manifest in relationships like intimately not just sex itself but also when you're in love with someone I guess so I think for me there's like a lot of gender differential in this this is like a complicated answer that I'm like still trying to suss out for myself um, but because for me for lack of, like, a less normative term, like, for me, relationships with women, um, I don't really go in with any trauma or, like, any personal trauma aside from just, like, 
the complexity and like difficulty of like being a queer woman. Um, and so those relationships are usually easier for me to not get really attached right away. Um, and like be able to like maintain control over my thoughts and not obsess. Um, but for men, it's very different. Um, and what I've noticed is as soon as I like begin to like really trust a guy, um, then I like kind of go all in and it's like, my sta- I feel like my standards are really low for, like, emotional intelligence. Um, <laughs> I'm just dragging men in this whole episode. Yeah, so I feel like as soon as I, like, begin to trust them and I, like, realize that this is a good thing and, like, a non-traumatic thing, I can get really obsessive really quickly. Um, and it kind of, like, occupies all my thoughts. Um, and a lot of that comes from, like... I've done a lot of healing on my own, but, like, some of that healing for me, I feel like, has to be done through relationships and, like, proving to myself that, like, I can have positive experiences with men. Um, And so when those positive experiences happen, they, like, hold a lot more weight for me and hold a lot Um. more significance than just, like, someone who's not had trauma in this way, Um, which can be really beautiful and fun, but also, like, can, like, lead to a lot of feelings really fast, um, (laughs) which is, like, not conducive to, like, the rest of my life because... (laughs) I have, like, four jobs, and I'm a senator, and, like, when I really like someone, I, like, want to see them all the time, but I'm, like, free, like, an hour a week. <laughs> Thanks for um, spending it with us. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I feel like it can lead to, like, a lot of attachment stuff, but I'm working on it, and I'm also very young, so I have, like, optimism that that will, like, lessen as I get older. Before we head out for this week, can you tell us... Your favorite dating story from this godforsaken campus <laughs> called UC Berkeley. Yes, I can. Um, so during my freshman year, um, I also apologize if you're listening because I still respect you very much. Um, <laughs> I um, had this uh, boyfriend and to be romantic, he took me to the top of the Campanile. Aww. I'm afraid of heights, so I burst into tears. Um, <laughs> so I'm just crying at the top of the Campanile, like my back to like the edge of the wall. Um, and then we eventually go down, and then we go for a walk to the creek, and I break up with him to date women. <laughs> In the same 30 minutes. <laughs> Is it because he took you to the Campanile? No. Or, oh, I didn't oh. know he was going to do that. <laughs> you just planned this ahead of time. No, I was just, like, going to end it. And then he was like, can we go up here? So I'm like, I'm really upset right now because I'm afraid of heights. But, like, and I'm gonna talk I to need you. to break up with you because I'm, like, I'm really gay. <laughs> So, yeah, it's just all gone uphill from there, I guess. <laughs> a lot of, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Miranda. It's been a pleasure to have you. You're welcome. Um, Is there anything you'd like to plug before we dip around you? I do want to talk a little bit about the resources that are available on campus for survivors. Um the main one is the Path to Care Center, which is really underutilized, but it's on the third floor of Sproul. At the end of the hall, um, you can call the number on their website, and they provide comprehensive care to survivors um, anonymously and confidentially, which means that if you go talk to them, you can tell them whatever you want, and they can't be forced to testify on your behalf, either to school or to the police. So they will walk you through reporting if that's what you want, and if that's not what you want, they can set you up with a social worker or a counselor to talk with. Um, and that is the number one place I would recommend to go and I feel like a lot of people don't know that um they're amazing you should go thank you to all of them for their awesome work amazing Hard and Soft is a Daily Californian podcast we are produced today by Michelle Lee Charmaine Chong Ashley Grace Vo, Nathaniel Mahold and other staff members include Haruka Senju Jessica Dong and Divorce <laughs> 
<laughs> um, follow us on all social networks at Hard and Soft Pod, please, and like our shit. Give us a five star rating on iTunes too. That means a lot. That'll make me wet. <laughs> Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.